0: The second Bible reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you for gathering us here this evening. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the truth of the gospel. Uh, We pray tonight that you would uh, speak to us, uh, that you would work in each of our hearts and that you would set our gaze fully on Jesus. And we ask this in His name. Amen. Uh, friends, we please be seated. Well, as we've uh, already been discussing here tonight, uh, Lent uh, is a season of repentance. Uh, it's a season of self-denial. And that's not because we don't uh, repent and deny ourselves throughout the rest of the year. We do. Repentance is an ongoing activity. Self-denial is an ongoing activity in the Christian life. But uh, we have the season of Lent because it can be helpful to just take some extra time to really focus on these aspects of the Christian life. And really, that's what the church calendar is, is all about. Uh, the church calendar isn't about having... Holy days or extra special seasons in and of themselves. It, it, it's about us uh, using the traditions of the church as a means to help us grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, for example, that's what we do uh, in the season of Advent and Christmas. We take some extra special time to focus on the the incarnation and the birth of Jesus and to to get ourselves ready for the second coming of Christ. Not because we don't think about those things at other times. We do. We're always focused on the incarnation. Uh, We're always getting ready for the second coming of Jesus, but we spend some extra time focusing on those things at that time, and that's what we do during Lent. We take some extra time to focus on what it means for us to repent of our sin and how it is that we may need to deny ourselves ourselves in the upcoming stages as we move towards the Easter season and the cross of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do this evening is I want us to reflect on this passage from Matthew chapter 16. Because in this passage, uh, we have what is the fundamental radical call that Jesus places on, on anyone who would identify themselves as being his disciple. And it's the radical call in which Jesus says to us, Come and die. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So if you've identified yourself as a disciple of Jesus, or if maybe the Lord is putting it on your heart tonight to become a disciple of Jesus, this is the call. Come and die. And so as we think about this Lenten season that we're entering into tonight, what I want to encourage us to do is to use this season to more fully obey this call, to increasingly die to ourselves as we follow Jesus to the cross. So let's begin by looking at verses 21 to 23, because verses 21 to 23 provide the backdrop to this call to come and die. The the main call is there in verse 24, but verses 21 to 23 is the backdrop. So verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here we have Jesus identifying his mission. Peter then rebuking Jesus, and then Jesus, in the strongest terms possible, rebuking Peter. Now, what leads to this difficult interaction between Jesus and and Peter is actually a wonderful moment. Uh, It's the God-given recognition that Peter has that Jesus really is the Christ, the Messiah. And that's that's a defining moment in the Gospels. Because it seems that at that point, when, when Peter recognizes that, 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 that Jesus' disciples are finally beginning to understand who Jesus really is. And so then here at verse 21, uh, as Matthew tells us, from that time, the dominant theme now is going to be on Jesus showing his disciples not just his true identity, but his true mission. So Jesus has been identified as the Christ, and then in verse 21, he now speaks about his mission as the Christ. And clearly for those original disciples, the mission Jesus reveals is both surprising and troubling to them. You know, they've been witnessing Jesus do miracles. They've witnessed the authority of Jesus in his teaching and in his actions. They've witnessed how Jesus doesn't back down from the religious leaders, I mean, they've seen some extraordinary things, amazing, powerful things in and through Jesus and his ministry that are taking place. And so when Jesus now gives them this this defining revelation and he says to them, here's my mission, I'm going to suffer at the hands of these religious leaders and in fact be killed And despite the fact that he he did say he'd also be raised from the dead, which the disciples don't really seem to have heard, Peter is absolutely taken back. No, Lord, no, that's not going to happen to you. Don't talk that way. You're the Christ. You're not going to die. Because, of course, what the disciples don't understand is that Jesus has to die. At least he has to die if they're going to be forgiven of their sin. Now, Matthew's gospel opens, in fact, by telling us that Jesus was named Jesus precisely because he would save his people from their sins. And, friends, this is the way that Jesus does that. He dies in our place, receiving the consequences and the punishment that our sin deserves. And so before he can be a a glorious and victorious Messiah, he must first be a crucified Messiah. And he must be so for our sake. And indeed, the atoning death of Jesus on the cross is so central to the mission of Jesus as the Christ that he says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Listen, we should understand that to deny the centrality of the cross is to do the very work of Satan. And in fact, Jesus identifies what was going on in Peter's heart and mind for him to have made such a crucial error. Again, verse 23 Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance, you're you're a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In other words, Jesus is saying that, Peter, you've got your priorities and your affections all mixed up. Instead of focusing on God and His Word and and what He's revealed, you're you're only thinking about the things of man. You're consumed with ideas of worldly greatness and and worldly fame and success and power and and the praise of men and and worldly comfort. When my God-ordained mission is to die for your sins... And of course, Peter wasn't the only disciple to have had his heart and mind set more on the things of man than the things of God. Uh, James and John famously tried to position themselves to be the ones who would sit at the right and the left hands of Jesus in in the kingdom of God. Why? Because they wanted glory. They were after honor and and power and and self-exaltation. And of course, when the rest of the disciples, they learned about how James and John were, were jockeying for those positions of honor, all of them became indignant, but not because they were morally outraged at what James and John were doing, but because, because they themselves wanted those positions, and they were upset that James and John had beat them to the punch. That was true of all the disciples. They were all focused on the things of man instead of the things of God. So that's the backdrop. So with that, as the backdrop, Jesus uses this opportunity to teach the disciples then about about what it really means to be his disciple. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Again, what a stunning message. Not only am I going to die, but if you're really going to follow me and be my disciple, then you too must die. So I know you want strength. I know you want power. And I know you want an obvious victory. I know you want your best life now. I know you want to go from, from one success to another. I know you think that that's what the Messiah should do. But that's not how any of this is going to work. That's not God's plan. That's not what's needed to take away sin. The Christ must suffer and die, and therefore so too must those who follow him in this world. And so, friends, as we try to to think a little bit more clearly about this call that Jesus issues to all of us here tonight, and try to think and get our, our minds around exactly what it means. Uh, I find it helpful as a starting point, if you think of what the opposite of what this looks like. Right, think about what would be the opposite of, of, of denying yourself. The opposite of denying yourself would be to gratify yourself. It would be to seek the idol of, of self-gratification. And then what would be the opposite of, of, of taking up your cross? Well, it would, be, it would be to seek to preserve your life. It would be to seek the idol of self-preservation. And then what would be the opposite of following Jesus? Well, I, I suppose it would be to follow anything or anyone else. Whether they'd be following your, your heart as people like to emphasize these days, or, or simply following some other leader or, or religion or, or philosophy. In other words, it would be the very essence of all idolatry, sending, centering our lives on, on anything other than God. It would be me determining how my life should be lived. Right, self-gratification, self-preservation, and self-determination. Uh, that's the opposite of what Jesus is calling for here. And as we think in particular about this image of taking up our cross, we have to understand the shocking nature of this and just how shocking this would have been to the disciples. Because here's what the disciples would have likely thought about when they heard, take up your cross. They they would have thought about a bloody, shame-filled, humiliating painful death they didn't have crosses as ornaments that's all they knew about crosses they were bloody shame filled humiliating and they brought a painful death and so again the call for for anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus is, is, is that call to come and die and it's going to be painful it's not going to be a pretty, glorious death. It's going to be a painful death. And sometimes we use the language of having to, to bear our cross. You know, if someone's going through a difficult time. They say, "This is this is just my cross. I have to bear it." We we, we understand what that means. And it's all well and good, but it's not the point of what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about a, a, a certain affliction maybe that we have to bear. When, when Jesus says, I, I want you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, he's, he's talking about the totality of our lives. And not, not just a season of suffering and difficulty. But all that you are is to die. You are to die to yourself entirely. Just like Jesus did in going to the cross, it's a a complete self-abandonment to the will of God. And so it's to give up my will and and my agenda and, and myself as the center of my universe. It's abandoning my plans for his it's abandoning my resources for his. It's to die to myself completely so that I now live for the honor and glory of God. And so it, it, it's a radical, stunning call. I can only imagine the force with which it hit the disciples. And yet as Jesus then goes on in the rest of these verses, as difficult as it is to embrace this call, nonetheless, notice what Jesus does here. He he actually gives us, we might say, compelling reasons to follow him this way. And and we need those. Because let's be honest, none of us by nature wants to die. Uh, We're born wanting to preserve our lives and to do what we want to do and to gratify ourselves. And so what Jesus does in verses 25 to 27 is to give us three compelling reasons for denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. And the word for is the indicator there, right? The word for, F-O-R, at the beginning of each of these these following verses tells us that these are in fact reasons supporting the main call there in verse 24. Verse 24. Okay, so friends, if you're right now trying to to count the cost, you're wondering if it's really worth it to follow Jesus unto death, listen to what Jesus says to you. Reason number one. Dying to self and following Jesus is the only way that you can have eternal life. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. It's the great irony. The one thing you may want to save the most, your very life, is the one thing you can't save by trying to save it. And by life here, Jesus isn't just referring to your physical existence, but to your whole being, your your very soul. And if you try to maximize your existence in this world if you try to live for yourself you will actually lose your very self and die Therefore reason number 2 dying to self and following Jesus is the only way to not lose your soul and your soul is of immeasurable worth verse 26 For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? It's a a hypothetical that Jesus is giving. And imagine a man had the whole world, everything a human being could ever possibly want in this life. It's impossible, of course. It's just a hypothetical, but, but imagine it. But now imagine that, that someone offered you the whole world on one condition. You can have it for 24 hours and then die the next day. I mean, that's a bad deal, right? You're not taking that deal. There's no way you're sacrificing the rest of your life for a mere 24 hours of unbridled power and passion. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying with respect to our souls in eternity. He's saying this life is a blip, it's like a 24 hour day compared to eternity. So, why would you sacrifice eternal life in order to simply enjoy a mere few hours in this world instead of following me with all that you are? And so, Jesus wants us to, to consider the relative value of our soul compared to everything else in this world. What would you trade for your soul? Friends, whatever you think is worth it, it's a bad bargain. Don't do it. And then reason number three. Dying to self and following Jesus is the only way to successfully face the judgment of God. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father... And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus there is speaking about his second coming when he will come not as the suffering Christ but as the glorious Christ in the very glory of God the Father. And he's giving here both a warning and a promise. There, There will be a coming judgment in which God repays And for those who rejected the call to follow Jesus, the repayment will be life eternally lost. But for those who responded to the call by dying to self, taking up their cross and following Jesus, there will be life eternal lived in the very presence of the glory of God. So friends, as we begin this Lenten season, that's the call. It's the call to come and die. But, but it's the call to come and die so that you can live. And so if maybe you, you've never responded to this call, uh, this is fundamentally how you become a disciple of Jesus. You say to Jesus, Lord, I've, I've spent all my life living for myself, doing things my way. But I believe that you're the Christ who died for my sins and now I want to follow you. I want you now to be the center of my world and so I'm abandoning myself completely to your service. And for those of us who are already professing disciples of Jesus, this is still what we we do daily throughout our lives. Every day. Every day. This is what disciples do. Every day it's, it's dying to our own will. It's dying to our own agendas. It's dying to our own desires. Every day it's, it's forfeiting control over our own lives. Every day it's learning to treasure Jesus the Christ more than our own comfort and safety. And so much so that we say with the Apostle Paul, I, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Everything else is rubbish. That I may gain Christ. And so friends, consider where is it right now in your life where you really need to give time and prayer and attention to dying to yourself? Is it somehow maybe related to money and material things? If so, remember what Jesus said to that rich young ruler. I want you to go away and give away everything you have if you're going to follow me. And we think, what? That's crazy. Everything, But do you see what Jesus was doing there? He was saying to that rich young ruler, you need to die to yourself. Come and die, was his invitation to him. Maybe if you're clutching money and material things, follow Jesus' advice, give it away. Die to yourself. Husbands, In what ways do you need to die to yourself in order to better love and serve your wives? Because husbands, that's Jesus' call upon you. Come and die. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did he love her? He gave himself up for her. Husbands come and die. Parents, what are the, the ways that you need to die to yourself in order to better shepherd your children in the things of God? Are you simply seeking to, to gratify yourself and your family? Your time, your agenda. Parents come and die. Those of you who are single, constantly faced with sexual temptation, this is Jesus' call to you. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Or how about when it comes to the relationships we have with other believers in the church? That's the same call. Die to yourself. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Similarly, Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But you see, it's the call that, that runs throughout the whole Bible. And it applies to every relationship we have. And it applies to every area of our lives. Come and die. Give up your will. Give up your plans. Give up your desires. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow me. And so we are right now in your life. Do you most need to die to yourself? Gracious Heavenly Father, this is an extraordinarily hard call. We love the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we want to follow him with all that we are will you help us to respond to this call? Uh, Lord, by your power, by your grace, would you help us to die to ourselves? Whatever it is that we're clinging to, Father, would you, would you enable us to let go? Would you put Jesus before us ever more clearly. That we would see his grace and his glory and all that he has done for us in his death. And Lord, would you help us to follow him? We ask for your help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.